Better listen very carefully. A good martial artist does not become tense, but ready. Essentially, at this point, the fight is over. So you pretty much flow with the goal. Who is worthy to be trusted with the secret to limitless power? I'm ready. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Bulletproof for BJJ podcast. I am JT, and today with me, I have a very special guest, Livia. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Thanks now, for having I, me. <laughs> well, Livia Giles, ladies and gentlemen, make her feel welcome. You are one of the very first guests that we are having on the podcast. Now, Joey's not with me. Uh, thankfully, slow me down. Uh, you know, we've known each other for a long time and I have got a few different questions that I want to ask because there is stuff that I just don't know. And also there's stuff that I'm sure that people who listen to our podcast would love to know being the BJJ obsessed people that they are. And then also you being the female athlete extraordinaire that you are and now also being a mum and going through pregnancy, pregnancy and BJJ. There's not many women out there who've done it you know, <laughs> to be in your position. So what I wanted to do is just start at the start. And I just wanted to, because I know that you've been an athlete a long time. You started your athletic career in gymnastics. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I started, I think I was about seven in Poland and yeah, it got serious pretty quickly. So probably by the time I was like about nine, I was training like 30 hours a week and competing Oof. all over Europe. Yeah, it was Turned, turned full on very quickly. So it was like that elite level. We had competitions all the time around first, it was around Poland and then it was around Europe. We pretty much would jump in the car and go, go all over Europe. You know, by the time you're 10, you're traveling around. So it, it was pretty exciting at the start. I guess it's a pretty tough sport and especially back in the like early 90s, sorry, yeah, late 80s, early 90s in Poland. It was post-communistic um, Poland, my goodness. Yeah, it was just full on um, with the coaching and trying to make it to, you know, world championships and Olympics. It was good experience most of the time. It was also quite abusive, <laughs> which I've been quite vocal about in the past and, yeah. you know, riddled with eating disorders and uh, and so on. <laughs> um, anyway, then I moved to Australia in 96. I think I was just turning 12 and I started training gymnastics in Australia with another Ukrainian coach and the abuse wasn't any less. It was probably even worse, if anything. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's just the same culture all over the world. But yeah, it was, you know, also really cool to like train at a really high, high level. I think it made me the athlete I am today and just like, makes you be really, I don't know, you just learn how to train really hard because you get like really disciplined and obedient, which is not a good thing, but there's good things that come out of it. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And so you also were a competitive track cyclist. I was. Just tell us about Jack that. Of all trades, master of none. My goodness. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I, um, I retired because I was old at the age of, I think, 19 from rhythmic gymnastics. And I think I asked my team physio, like I sort of said, I'm done with gymnastics, but I'm not done with sport. What would I be good at? What would I be suited at? I just said, I'm, I'm only interested to be, you know, like the best in the world. And I think he said like weightlifting, hammer throwing or trek cycling. And I was really disappointed at those options coming from like a pretty <laughs> dainty yeah. gymnast. So I thought, 
trek cycling seemed like the best option and I literally just went to a velodrome and said like I want to be good I want to race bikes and yeah it was pretty scary it was my first race on a velodrome uh, because you train outdoors on an outdoor track so it's not as steep but the big races are on the like big indoor tracks where it's wooden velodrome 42 degree angle Um, and I just remember like that was my first time on that velodrome was racing and I was just absolutely shitting myself (laughs) but uh, I think I had a step too but anyway I did that for about six years and I was good, but I wasn't as good as I wanted to be, which is, again, to make it to that sort of Olympic level. I think I was in my early 20s and I slowly started to lose passion for it. And I thought, like, you know, I'm not a kid anymore. How am I going to support myself? I can't be a bum athlete forever and just go, I'm an elite athlete. Cycling doesn't, as a female anyway, doesn't pay money. So um, I started my university degree and then I slowly sort of transitioned out of cycling when I just... I don't know. I wasn't getting the results I wanted and I don't think it was going to provide me the future I wanted as well. Yeah. And so how did you discover Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Tell us about that. So I think I I actually met Lockie around the time where I was transitioning out of cycling. We worked at the same football club as physiotherapist. So I was a physio student. He was the senior physio so I knew he was doing jiu-jitsu. I didn't really know what it was. I remember he tried to get me to watch UFC one just to, and I like, I watched it and I just, I was like, why did this? I just watch that? I don't understand <laughs> what that got to do with jiu-jitsu. And he was trying to obviously show me that jiu-jitsu is effective. I just, I was like, okay, yeah, cool. I don't want to do that. I don't want to punch people in the face. Then at the same time, so I was aware of what jiu-jitsu was. And then at the same time, my brother was doing Muay Thai at a local gym. Um, okay. I was going in with him and doing a few Muay Thai classes, but I don't know, I would just spend a lot of time shadow boxing and no one was actually teaching me anything. So I didn't really understand what I was doing either. And I just felt like an idiot punching the air. (laughs) And then one day, yeah, there was jujitsu at that club. And one day uh, myself and another girl from the Muay Thai class decided to go and try jujitsu. So I did that for about two weeks, I think. Was that Malvin Martial Arts? Yeah, that was at Malvin Martial Arts. Barry started as well. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Good and um, I, I went there for wrestling actually early in the jiu-jitsu yeah. journey. I, I went I went yeah. to that spot and uh yeah with Anatoly and Talgood yeah. and <laughs> so yeah. awesome. So it was it was really good. Yeah, and then I went to Brazil. I went to Brazil to actually just to party with my sister. She was doing her schoolies and I just I did a big trip around South America. And I remember, I think I was trying to impress Lucky a little bit and I was writing him emails going, I'm going to go and do jiu-jitsu in Brazil. And he's like, Ooh. oh, don't. <laughs> You've been training for two weeks. You just, you know. But anyway, I did. And the guys were really, really nice to me. They gave me like a free private every day. And I thought jiu-jitsu guys are really nice. I was a little bit naive at that time. <laughs> they wouldn't give a free jiu-jitsu private every day to a white belt guy. But anyway, it made me stay and stay in, in in the sport. And I competed probably about three months later and I just stayed doing that. Wow. So where were you? What Where was that first club? Was that Checkmatch or where, what was the... In position? Brazil? Or? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that was at Checkmat with Rico Vieira. And yeah, he was, he was really nice to me. I mean, the guys were probably a little bit overly friendly as <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't know that at the time. <laughs> yeah, totally. 
but they were they were generally really nice and I was a beginner and and I trained there for a good I don't know three weeks and then when I came back I just wanted to do it all the time so I was at Melbourne Martial Arts so my first coach was Daniel Shaw and it wasn't until a little bit later on that I started training with Tiago and then later Lockie being my coach. Yeah for sure and I mean I think that's that's where we first met was at uh, Absolute MMA in the city. Yeah. And um, look, for a long time, I, it's understandable. I, I felt like you, you hated me because I had, um, coached, <laughs> against, I had coached against you many times oh, yeah. uh, because Sonny and you used to That's compete. Right. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, there was, there was a few tournaments where I was yelling, Sonny, triangle her. And you're just looking at me <laughs> like, did. you you triangled me many times. <laughs> and so I, I could understand why you might uh, hate me. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I appreciate that, that you're the better person. Um, but, yeah, training together at uh, Absolute. And, see, I wasn't even aware that uh, you had even met Lockie before you started Jiu-Jitsu. I was aware that it was like a physio yeah. connection. Yeah, yeah. But I, I wasn't sure of the timeline. From my experience, you had always been a competitor and yeah. and seeing you, you know, achieve, like be a world champion, you know, like that was that fairly famous, I guess, like BJJ famous photo of you in the bullpen. I can't remember which year it was, but you look like you're going to murder someone. Like, is that brown belt or probably purple? very hungry. It was probably brown belt. I mean, but I always then, have a but brown belt I was very hungry and I was like if I don't win this I'm gonna regret looking like a skeleton so and I, I remember I think classy grappler like did you up like a model and like, oh, yeah, yeah, put, put a right. shawl around you and you had this like oh that's the model one no that was black belt that was oh. um I think that was me trying to stare back at Jazari because she was trying to intimidate me and I was like yes I love this game I'm gonna just bring it on <laughs> do the same thing back but better yeah yeah the thing I wanted to ask, because this is interesting to me, because I've always been aware of you training, uh, whether mm. it's like rehabbing injuries or doing extra just because you're a very motivated person. Talk to me about strength and conditioning and how what you do off the mats helps you or how you approach it. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of strength and conditioning as a blue belt before Blue Belt Worlds, and I did that with Simon Carson. And I think... I don't know, I just did it to get ready for Worlds and I won Worlds that year um, at Blue Belt and it did really help me, I thought, just with conditioning and just just become a better, like have a better base as an athlete, but it wasn't super specific in terms of injuries or anything like that. After that, we went to Brazil for eight months. We actually trained together with JT uh, at Alliance in Brazil. And that was a very good time. It was 2000, yeah. end of 2013, start of 2014? Yes. Was it that yeah, run? Yeah, and I didn't. And you guys, this is my beef. You guys got to go to the bloody Kaloi private hotel on the beach for Christmas, didn't you? I remember the photos on Facebook. I was so jealous. I didn't get to go there till later. And best place on earth. (laughs) Wow, the Kaloi's, hey? Legends. Yeah. We have a mutual friend. Just for for you guys listening, um, our mutual friend, uh, Fabinho Kaloi, Fabio Kaloi, and Hikado. Kaloi, the Kaloi brothers, awesome guys. Uh, I met them uh, when I first went to Sao Paulo back in like 2011 or 2012. And uh, Fabinho had lived in Australia and spoke really good English. And he was like, man, when you come back, you come stay with my family. And it was amazing. 
And then yeah. subsequently, I think I had said to Liv and Lockie, yeah. hey, if you go, try and hook up with these yeah, guys. we rented a place out of his brother, so Hikado and Camila out of their place and we trained together and, yeah, they were amazing. Awesome. We're still really good friends. Yeah, they're lovely. Yeah. But, yeah, I didn't do any strength and conditioning in Brazil because we trained a lot and it was really hard and then I don't think I could afford another gym membership and there was no time. We trained hard and I thought at that stage doing more strength and conditioning would be detrimental to my jiu-jitsu because you can't, you can't do two sessions, hard sessions of jiu-jitsu a day plus hard weights. And, um, so I just Unless didn't you have the good acai. Unless you do, which I don't. I don't have the jiu-jitsu. No, we do not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, never, never did, never will. So I do actually have to look after my body a bit more. <laughs> I mean, you've had your share of injuries, right? And so yeah. there's been a fair bit of time of you doing rehab and coming back. And yeah. I mean, I think any combat sport where you train five hours a day, being on the smaller side and training with, you know, essentially most people at the gym are bigger than you and I'm always prepping for comps. And the other factor is weight cutting. So you don't Oof. have that energy available to you, which I probably ignored a bit too much in the past, but I think the energy expenditure and then not having the nutrients to actually recover properly plays a really big part. Having that mental fog when I'm cutting a lot of weight and maybe misstepping when I'm rolling really hard or wrestling, I reckon that's contributed to my injuries a little bit. Can we just uh, click on that for a second? There's a lot of people out there who cut weight for BJJ, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a big part of the sport. People are trying to get to a lighter category. And you competed at what weight? Like, because you're a sl- you are a slim, lean lady. Yeah, not right at, now. at your at your fattest, you are lean. Like you got abs. Yeah, when you would right be now. like, oh, I've got a belly, and you have a six pack. I so don't it's anymore. like I have a pregnancy belly, but that's okay. <laughs> hey, you're you're a mum. It's allowed. <laughs> no. No, if you say so abs I, right I, now, Liv, I'd be so mad. Yeah, I, I definitely don't have abs. I'm eating right. cake delicious do it Uh, but yeah so the lightest I've competed uh, look I usually sit around I don't know 58 56 kilos and then um, I think first time I cut weight for 2013 worlds I cut to light feather which is 53 and a half with a gi on and it wasn't a massive cut for me I didn't want to do it because I was really afraid of going a little bit crazy from my like past I'd wouldn't say I had eating disorders, but maybe disordered eating. And I didn't want the sport to associate with when I used to be a gymnast. So, of course. Uh, but anyway, nothing happened. I cut weight and then I just kind of stayed that weight. It, I did it in a, you know, with the help of nutrition or dietitian and it was very smart. It was nothing like gymnastics used to be. And then I just stayed lighter for many years, like 53 kilos. And I think just having a really active job and training like five hours a day and just not eating too much crap, and also my body type and genetics, you know, that contributes to a large part of how you look. I thought, well, if I can eat pizza and ice cream and sit at 53 kilos, why not go cut down to rooster weight? If I just stop eating pizza and ice cream, surely I'll get down to 46, you know. Whoa. Um, Whoa. Yeah. So my I got goodness. down to about 50 and that's when I was like, okay, I have veins popping out on my like back and, and stomach and that was extremely, extremely difficult for anyone who doesn't know for IBJJF comps, you weigh in like 10 minutes before you start. Whereas like in Abu Dhabi, you have a day to rehydrate. So it's very different strategy. So I actually had to be lean because I didn't want to risk being dehydrated. That's not great for you either. Um, So yeah, you competed at worlds at all belts, right? You competed at 
not white belt, but yes. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Not so blue, purple, brown, and black. You competed at that lighter weight for the rest of your career, or no, no. So uh, rooster weight, I only did at brown belt, and then in Abu Dhabi, I did it twice at brown and and at black belt. But that's a little bit different because you do have those 24 hours. So I could lose last kilo and a half of water and that's that makes a massive difference. So by the time I was fighting, I was already 52 kilos. Right. But, yes, yeah, so I only did that massive cut to Rooster once and I won't do it again. I did that was win. the year you won, right? That was the, the yeah. footlock, the killer footlock, the dolphin. Yeah, I won the dolphin, the dolphin <laughs> my, my old school jiu-jitsu. Yeah, look, and I mean, it, I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, I'm so glad I had that experience, but I think it's not safe. <laughs> no. no <laughs> it's not, awesome that I can do it, but uh, I just I don't feel the need to do that ever again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Jump around a little bit because I wanted to, because obviously I want to get into how your pregnancy has been and being a mom yeah. and we can hear little Walt in the background. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to get lucky to take him, but he's just woken up. So we can sit together for a little bit. Oh, the cutie. Such a cutie. <laughs> oh, we'll see. Sweet. I want to kind of skip towards your run to ADCC because obviously I was there in the gym training with you guys, both you and Lockie, and yeah. obviously saw everything that you both went through to be able to get there, which was yeah. A lot of people don't even really understand how much of a hard work it was for you guys to qualify and be there. So yeah. I would like to just chat a little bit about your prep and, you know, obviously the way you approached it and then uh, qualifying and then just all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um, winning ADCC trials is like a major goal of mine for like probably about five or six years. And I have lost the trials three times in a row. I think I've come second twice and then I lost first round. I flew all the way to Poland and lost first round. And it's something that, you know, I've managed to win medals at every belt level at Worlds, but ADCC trials, especially after seeing like Craig and Lockie do it um, and Kit, and it, it was such a big goal of mine and I was obsessed with it. So I know it doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, but to me that was like one of the best victories just because, yeah, what I went to to actually get there. Um, but I guess we did plan like two years out and we planned to get good at wrestling and good at leg locks and especially yep. I think in the female division, I think it's evening out, but definitely, you know, I'm probably not going to, without talking myself down, I probably won't pass a 60 kilo girls guard like a Bia Basilio or Bia Mosquita or I probably won't take them down especially with my non-ACL knee and being quite a bit lighter but I can definitely leg lock everyone so that was my strategy and that was like yeah. I have this one weapon that I know if I get into my position I know I can win and that's what we went with basically so I was getting really good at wrestling I did wrestling nationals which I happened to I win. remember that actually yeah yeah and then I tore my ACL. So wrestling Fuck. wasn't, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately for trials, I tore my ACL and everything else in my knee four months before the trials in Dang. Europe. And so I thought that was my career was over. I thought I needed surgery. And my sports physician sort of said, look, given that you're very disciplined at rehab, let's try to do it without surgery and see where, you know, you should be able to compete by April. So wrestling was out I definitely my strategy so I really didn't want to go to overtime because I know I can't wrestle safely 
because you have to train and if you yeah, don't train, you take someone down. You were doing a lot of squats and rack pulls and you were doing yeah. so much. We, well, the other thing was that if I wanted to win the trials, I couldn't win it at 55 kilos, you know, like because the girls are cutting from 65 or 70 to get into the under 60 kilo division. Yep. And if I'm naturally sitting at 53 or 55 kilos, it's a it makes a massive difference at that level. So I decided to skip the World Pro, which is like around the same time of the trials, which I really wanted to do because I really wanted to win that also. And I even planned to like, oh, sorry. That's all right. That's cool. For our Aww. listeners out there, they, they know these sounds. This is the, the nature of beautiful <laughs> little baby. In their locky G's, mate. <laughs> yeah, so we, we decided to put everything on the line. And that means I skipped the World Pro, which was a really big deal for me. And I finally got over myself in my head because I do enjoy being lean. I'm not going to lie. I like having abs. It's fun. But I was like, right, I have to eat a lot. I have to do a lot of weights. And that's to get hypertrophy and put on put on muscle mass. So it meant doing maybe less rounds so I don't burn as much calories, uh, but more quality rounds. It meant yeah, doing a lot of weights for hypertrophy and literally forcing a lot of food down my throat so that I would actually get bigger to give myself the best chance at actually winning these trials. Because in the past, like, it, you know, I, I know size doesn't matter, but at that level, it really does mm, definitely. <laughs> uh, when I'm fighting the best in the world. Yeah. So I, I knew we wanted to try having kids. I'm also nearly 37. And I thought if I don't put everything on the line now, next time might be too late, you know? So I'm glad I did because I was even cooler that I literally sacrificed everything. And like we had this plan and actually paid off the actual ADCC is a different story, but still winning those trials is one of my best memories. I think. I remember actually seeing the clip and you did the trick, uh, neutral ashy switch, right? Like yeah, for yeah, people who yeah. don't know leg locks, but I know, I, I remember in class, actually, I can't remember if it was Jeremy or anyway, Lockie was showing it in class at the pro session and talking about like you kind of bait them and then you move their foot and you switch. And was that, was that the one that you finished Um, the girl with in the final? I mean, yes, it was whether I I don't even know if it was intentional. Like uh, I knew cause she wanted to get the outside heel hook and I'm very hard to outside heel hook because I'm With your flexibility. (laughs) Yeah. Who and can awareness. outside heel hook you? No one. Yeah. So she gave me the perfect angle. I thought like, oh, great. Like I, you always have to be careful. like very careful because, you know, it can bite me in the butt. For those who don't uh, know, Livia, Livia is possibly one of the most flexible people ever <laughs> uh, other than her gymnastics professional, you know, life as a gymnast, as a, a young woman, you are yeah, not going to so lo- yeah. catch her. And it heel. is hard when I've got small feet. It is hard to heel hook small feet. You have to get perfect positioning so I knew my defense was pretty good and usually the defense when someone's really you know seeing the white line and trying to get the heel hook on you they leave this themselves open for a heel hook but um the girl was really good I actually rewatched the footage not long ago I had a I think four heel hooks and two of them popped and she didn't tap and I just Oof. thought my god and I pulled guard so I was a point down for pulling guard and I thought, I'm going to have to break her or I'm going to lose. Yeah. And it just happened to, yeah, I, I got the perfect positioning to do that. That was awesome. I remember seeing that clip. I was so stoked for you. It was an awesome moment. Thinking about all the different things you, you've done in your life and you're a commitment kind of person, you know, you give it everything, which is awesome. 
being there at the ADCC because I was very lucky to be in the America at that time and yeah. score myself a coach's pass so I could hang out with everyone and awesome. be the extra body. But being there at the ADCC and seeing you guys line up, it's pretty amazing to see both you and Lockie and, and you know, Hodge too, like line up with all these people, right? Yeah. Keller as well. But just people who I've known throughout my jiu-jitsu life, yeah. you know, 10 years plus and to see them in the same arena with the all-stars, like the best ever. Like you are in that arena at the all-star game of jiu-jitsu. I think it really hit me being at the rules meeting where everybody's just sitting on the mat and Scandinavian mafia of the ADCC. Because I was like, why aren't they all like Emirati or like, why aren't these guys? Yeah, yeah. They're all like huge Viking kind of dudes and they were reading the rules. Yeah. Yeah. And just sitting there and I was sitting next to Andre Galvam and like JT Torres and I was like, God, my God. One of the coolest moments too for me personally was um, coaching Lockie or being in Lockie's corner against uh, Lepree and Fabio Gugel being coaching Lepree and yeah. they're both like my my idols as well. And yes. obviously Fabio coached us when we yeah. um, in Brazil and you know Fabio kind of going, oh isn't that nice? Like we're we're coaching against each other. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's actually amazing, you know. Yeah. So that was that was a really cool moment as well. Yeah, I, I think knowing that you are in that league. I'm with you, you know, I always wanted to make the Olympics for Taekwondo and that was a big dream of mine for like 15 years. Yeah. I dedicated my life to Taekwondo, right? And I never, even though I got to compete internationally, I never made the Olympics. Yeah. But, you know, I, I got to fight the world champion, you know, back in 2007 and I was like, I didn't even know I was fighting him because I didn't know the draw. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm fighting the world champion. Like it is an amazing feeling to be like, I'm amongst this. That's what it is, yeah. Now it's me. Like I'm here, yeah. Yeah, which is I was so it, I've got to say all you guys being at the ADCC and me being there in person is like the best moment in my jiu-jitsu life. Well, <laughs> we could my black belt or like anything. Three stories away <laughs> cheering. So that was awesome. <laughs> so I want to change gears a little bit now. You are a mum and mm. you've gone through your pregnancy. Please tell me about how you've gone from being a little bit baby bump to where you are now and how that has affected your jiu-jitsu and your other training. Yeah, so it's been quite a journey. I can't say I've loved being pregnant just because I obviously really like training and I um, rely on my body for my job and my mental health and, you know, it's probably an addiction that I have. Um, just exercise and and teaching and coaching and training and competing. So it's been quite an adjustment, but it's also something that I've really wanted as well. So it's it's having that weird, you know, I really wanted to be a mom and have a baby, but I really want to still be an athlete. And it's not an easy choice. And it's a choice that women have to make, unfortunately. So that's been that's been tough. Yeah, look, I, I have a really good obstetrician, Shavi, who has looked after a few jiu-jitsu girls now. And so he has some awareness of what jiu-jitsu is. And we work pretty closely together on how much and how hard I should train. I, I did push my limits. Like I stopped rolling, rolling. Uh, I'll say that loosely because there's obviously I wasn't rolling like I usually do. I was, my heart rate was lower. I wasn't playing guard. I was um, very, very careful. And I had extremely good training partners throughout. And then 
I kept lifting. I, I did a 100-kilo deadlift, I think, at 36 weeks. Uh, wow. Without without trying to because the big thing is you can't brace and you can't because that of can course. occlude the blood flow, right, to right. the placenta. So I tried to do everything without using my abs, without bracing, which was completely different to what I've been taught for the last eight years. Yeah, full on. Uh, so I felt really strong. I felt good. So is that um, like, that's almost like double body weight plus Plus a baby. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was also a bit heavier um, because let's let's you know, let's randomly take out you know whatever <laughs> five kilos of baby weight, ten kilos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, it helps that you're heavier to lift weights, obviously, but also being pregnant doesn't help. Like your joints are loose, everything is really mobile, everything feels really weird, and you have to be very careful. You know, and so, for sake. but yeah, and then uh, yeah, birth. We won't get into that. Not pleasant. Not fun. <laughs> You get a baby at the end of it, which is awesome, but uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was pretty horrible, uh, painful, but amazing anyway. You forget about it pretty quickly and you get a beautiful baby, which is has been an absolute dream. So I just got back. So I'm, nearly, I'm six weeks tomorrow postpartum and I've got my physio and my obstetrician review tomorrow to clear me uh, back to training. So, you know, me being me, I obviously got into it a little bit earlier, but I have been really, really good. Like, so just pelvic floor exercises, going for walks, a little bit of mobility. And in the last week, because I felt really good and having that physio background, I started to do a little bit of drilling and moving around and some really light weights and so on. So we'll see tomorrow whether I get the official clearance, but yeah, I just started to do some light rolls with Lockie and it's, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. And I guess the thing that I, I would ask, because it's such a unique perspective that you have, having mm. had a full-on athletic career through your whole life, and achieving what you've achieved in jiu-jitsu and being where you are now, what would be your advice to other, I would say women, because like obviously this relates to pregnancy because this is a, yeah. a pressure that society puts on women. Oh, you're, you're getting on your 20s, you know, you're better, your cock is ticking, all this kind of rubbish, you know, and but it is real in terms of how you feel about your life and your choices. Yeah. You, you've been a lifetime athlete. And now you are a mum. And what would be your advice to women in jiu-jitsu who still want to compete and, and, and train and all of this, but they want to have kids? What is your advice around that from your perspective and your experience? I think it's hard to actually give good advice because I think it's really personal. For me, I still want to compete. And whether I get to do it or not, I'm not sure, especially because of the pandemic and and so on, but I still, I want to do, you know, ADCC and I want to do world championships and I think I can, but we'll see how it goes. But I think you've got to do it on your own timeline. You know, um, definitely I've had people telling me, you know, the energy you have now that's meant for kids. It's not meant for a sport or for something else. Like ever since I was 25, do it on your own timeline. At the same time, clock is ticking. Like it's not, you know, like I might be in um, amazing health and, and condition. I feel really young. I might look a bit younger. I, I don't know if I do, I don't, but. You do, don't worry. Does, it's cool. You know, like it doesn't mean <laughs> that your eggs and your ovaries are. So that's unfortunately the reality. Uh, if I could go back into my early 20s, I would probably freeze my eggs. So it's okay. like something, yeah, something. And it's not talked about a lot. And I think that's something that a lot of, of my friends are having kids in their mid-30s rather than mid-20s. And maybe that was like that 
20 years back and sometimes it's too late and it's a thing that you might miss out on because you're chasing a sporting goal which is super important but having a kid is is really like it has been amazing so far so you have to weigh up and some people don't want to have kids that's absolutely okay but the advice I would give myself you don't want to get to the point where you think you might want to have kids, but you can't because you're yeah. chasing something. So that's that's like another side of it. But there's also nothing stopping anyone from having a kid and doing what you're always doing. It's different. Like, I mean, I've only had him for six weeks, so I can't really say yeah. what it's going to be like. But I, I'm going to try to, you know, I, I got, I'm getting back to some little bit of work and it's never going to be the same. My training's never going to be the same. I have to go in and go out. I'm not going to be able to do night sessions for quite a while because it's going to be his bedtime, you know, but you mm. make it work. I, I have my own training partners. I can ask to train. I'm going to actually start a mums and bubs class when, oh, when it's legal. I was going to say, um, is there going to be like yeah, absolute yeah. NNA crash? Like what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like we have, we actually have, a, there's something in the water. We have a lot of pregnant girls and a lot of new babies at Absolute MMA. Wow, and cool. it makes it, it, it's so much better because it's someone to go through the same thing with you, right? And they, we know how to train with each other now. So I will definitely start a class during the day and anyone will be welcome, mums or partners and bubs, bring your kid put them on the side someone will look after them and then maybe after we have some wine i'm not sure yet <laughs> amazing <laughs> that sounds cool that sounds no so idea. good <laughs> that, that sounds great i think that is going to be really popular and i think that is actually a great note for us to leave off um <laughs> i would love to do another one with you and Lockie together at yeah, some great. point um but i want to say how much i respect you as an athlete and also as just one of the hardest working uh, humans who I've encountered. <laughs> so I just want to acknowledge you and just say, man, it's, it's hard for me to imagine what it takes to be. I have found jujitsu so hard and I'm not a small human, you know, yeah, <laughs> I've yeah, been yeah. totally bashed as a yeah. 85 kilo man. So to go through what you've gone through and to be where you are now, I just want to give you full love and respect for everything you've done live. Thanks, so. JT. And it's like you're such an awesome cheerleader and it's been like amazing having you just, yeah, go through it all together, you know, throughout the years. It's um, it's really cool. <laughs> well, I, I feel lucky because, you know, I, I'm a fan and I can also fortunately call you a, a teammate as well. So I'm, yeah. I'm stoked. But um, oh, thank you yeah. so much for joining us today. And for you guys uh, for out there, for our listeners, if they want to get in contact with you or ask you, um, reach out to you about training or anything like that, where can they reach you, Liv? Uh, so probably Instagram is the easiest. I think it's Livia underscore Giles or Facebook Livia Giles. Just um, drop me a message. Awesome. All right, Liv. Well, thank you so much for your time today and really excited for what comes next. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> See ya.